back to Thanks for Participating, the show where we force each other to participate in the things that we separately enjoy and hope that we find common interests along the way. I'm Sydney, and this is Josh. I thought you were going to go, I'm Josh, and this is Sydney. Sorry to disappoint you. You said on the last episode that you have to do it the way that I write, and that's what was written, and now you're changing your mind? Okay, I'm Josh. And this is Sydney. Thank you. And blah, blah. A little consistency is what I'm asking for here. <laughs> and blah, blah. Okay, you don't have to write the blah, blah. Obviously, you... Okay, well, now you're changing your mind again because you just said that I had to read it. You have to be consistent except for when you know that I expect you to not be consistent. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm supposed to be a mind reader. You're supposed to be consistent when consistency matters and inconsistent when inconsistency matters. Obviously, that's the definition of consistency. Okay, get out of here. Do you want to start over? Do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just being polite since I interrupted you so rudely to give you the option of redoing the intro. Obviously, I'm not going to restart the recording. I'm going to keep all those bloopers in for the listeners to to hear because that's what they come here for. <laughs> they come here to listen to us not know how to make a podcast. Fair enough. All right. The ball's in your court. What would you like to say? I would like to say that today we are talking about something very near and dear to my heart, the Fearless album. Woo! <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. Yay. It's been a long time coming. When when did we do the first Taylor Swift album? In like August, right? I don't even remember. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, I can pull up because um, our since our podcast is publicly available, I can just Google that. Taylor Swift debut album uh september 1st 2023 so september october november december january it's been four wait september to october october to november november december december to january and now january is almost over so almost five months since we uh did the the taylor swift josh uh, can debut count. album josh can count he promises i'm a math tutor i know numbers <laughs> <laughs> especially to his students <laughs> um yeah it's been a hot minute um but we are recording on the day that Taylor Swift found out that she's going to the Super Bowl. So, wow, what a coincidence! Yeah, <laughs> big oh day my for gosh. Taylor Swift. Yeah, we're recording an episode about her. That's probably the biggest news. <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> the she's... biggest thing that's ever happened to her. Taylor Swift. If you're out there, um, if you're if you're listening, um, even though the whole premise of this podcast is that Sydney and I are are married, and as a married couple, we're <laughs> we're introducing each other too. There's always a place for you on my uh left ring finger just saying <laughs> okay all right with that aside do you want me to jump into sure fearless yes as long as you fearlessly take it away okay um this is probably her favorite album of mine uh so far maybe i'll change my mind as we like listen to all of the podcasts but like this is the one that i like really grew up with i think the one that I would like listen to the most and I had like the extended version and I remember I downloaded it on iTunes when it came out like throwback to the iPod Nano and I had like four of the music videos on my iPod that I could watch and <laughs> um yeah so I was Do you remember how much an album costs on um, iTunes? I feel like it was like somewhere in like the mid teens, like okay. I can't remember exactly. I want to say it was somewhere like you know like twelve to fourteen, but I can't remember gotcha. exactly. Because I was thinking it was like it was either like ninety nine cents or like a dollar ninety nine or something for us 
just one song. One song, well, it would be 99 cents for like most songs, but like really popular singles would be like 129. Um, but then if you bought the whole album, it was like, you know, depending, like maybe like a regular version of an album would be around like 12 and then like a deluxe version would be like 15 to 20 or something. I think it just kind of depended on like the artist and how many songs there were. I re- remember because I had one iPod I think it was an iPod shuffle. I can't remember. Um, But it was when I was in seventh grade and my parents wouldn't let me buy music. So the only music I could put on it was stuff that my mom already had on her iPod. And it was like, she had like a first gen iPod or something. And so it was a lot of like Bee Gees and 90s, 2000s, like mom Zumba class, like (laughs) mixtapes, like stuff. Um, like the stuff that like you're cycling, like every time we touched, I get to see where it's like <laughs> the BPM is like what you're supposed to be like running or like cycling to like, like spin class. Yeah. Uh, spin class exactly <laughs> is what I'm thinking of. Um, spin class mixtapes is what was on my iPod. Like when I was in junior high, <laughs> like um, a 14 year old boy listening to that. Like literally it was like that and, uh, and like, and the Bee Gees, like, cause my mom had like a a poster of Barry Gibb on her wall (laughs) when she was growing up. Um, But there was like a couple of times where I'd get an iTunes gift card from like a grandparents or something for like my birthday or Christmas. And so I was like, all right, I have $10. So that means I can get about 10 songs unless I get like one of the ones that's a little bit more expensive Then like I get fewer songs and I'd go and I just like the only thing I could think was like what are the songs that are popular in seventh grade the songs that were popular were like uh Gangnam Style or oh, Dynamite man. by Tayo Cruz or what an era. Hot Shell Ray or like one of like the Bruno Mars songs where he's like I don't feel like doing anything oh yeah the lazy song yeah and and so it's like, all right, I want to like, I remember I would like scroll through like, there's so many songs available, but I don't know like the era any of, songs. The era of pop that made me think that I hated pop music. Yeah. <laughs> Katy Perry and Lady Gaga. Like, mm-hmm. it's like Lady Gaga's like debut years, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I remember scrolling through like so many lists of songs and I was just like, I don't really know anything except for what I hear people play at school. That's like popular. So I'd get get those songs. So it was my iTunes library was spin class mixtape, Bee Gees, and then a couple early 2000s like pop songs. I think mine was like Taylor Swift and Paramore mostly. (laughs) I was a little bit of an emo kid. Just a little bit. All right. Back to, sorry, Fearless. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, I taught myself how to play guitar with like a lot of these songs, like Taylor Swift and Indigo Girls mostly. Well, I I don't want to say I taught myself how to play guitar because I did take guitar lessons for two years. But like, I guess I taught myself how to play these songs on guitar. Yeah. So I just like these are the songs that I like really grew up with and really loved and probably like just the album that I have like the deepest connection to. Um, So, Josh, what were some of your thoughts while you were listening to it? Um, I know I said this last time when we talked about the debut album, but... I'll say it again. I was surprised how many songs I was already familiar with. And more so this time than with the previous album. Because like last time there were songs where I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. I didn't expect to have like heard these songs. But this time I was like, oh, not only have I heard these, but I know the words to a bunch of these songs already. Yeah, a lot of these uh, songs... I don't know. There are some that I just like can't listen to anymore because I feel like they were overplayed on the radio. Um, Right. 
but that means that you would recognize them. So yeah, because that's essentially growing up. The only times where we'd listen, like I wouldn't listen to music at home until I had my iPod, and then even then, the only times I would listen to it is really when I was mowing the lawn. I never took my iPod like out in public, and I definitely didn't have any Taylor Swift on there. But uh, yeah, just like on the radio, and this was because I remember, like as far as like my Taylor Swift knowledge goes uh i knew about taylor swift and i knew that she made like country music i didn't know like specifically what country was or i don't even know right now if this i know it's kind of like country-esque but i don't know if it like falls like comfortably in the country genre yeah it's debatable i think like some people are like country, country pop purists like quote unquote yeah um it definitely like it uses steel guitar and like some stuff so it definitely has like elements of country music and i think you could argue that it's like country pop um and i definitely knew like a couple of songs like probably the one i knew most was like love story mm-hmm. um which is on this album which i definitely didn't expect it to be on our second album i thought that would be like later down the road but i guess that makes sense if it was like that early and I would have like known about it but I remember where like the break where this is where I expect like the break in knowledge for me to be I expect I don't know how many albums there are but before this point but I remember on the radio I was like a little bit older and her song Shake It Off came out mm-hmm. which was like a paradigm shift between like what had come out like it didn't sound country at all and my mom was upset she was like you can't make country music and then make pop music like those are against the rules. You got to stick with like what you did before. And I was just like confused. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I feel like this is a like a fine song. You can like make whatever kind of music you want. And my mom was just really like mad. And she like complained for a long time about that. And <laughs> you know, that's funny because my dad had like a similar reaction where he was just like, it's a mistake to like move away from like this kind of music and like even to this day like him and my sister will like jam out to taylor swift and he'll listen to like some of the later stuff that my sister will show him but i think he still thinks that like these were like the golden albums of taylor swift her first three that were you know technically classified as country um the debut fearless and then the one after that which is speak now so it's kind of interesting that you know they kind of share opinions on that yeah thinking back I don't know. I mean, it's it's really hard for me to think like chronologically back then, but I don't know if there's any songs of Taylor Swift that I know naturally post Shake It Off. And that's partly because after that, I just stopped listening to the radio. Um, like when I when I started driving myself, like at that point I had a phone and I allegedly got music from sketchy websites that weren't itunes uh allegedly um and uh and it was mostly like toto and journey and like like classic slash like 80s soft rock and so whenever i would drive like in high school i like never had a radio partly because uh it was like a like a 1995 jeep that like didn't have like a working radio so i would (laughs) um, um i would just like always play it on my phone and then like in college I rarely listen to music in the car at all. Usually I'll like turn on a podcast or or something or I'll just sit in silence. <laughs> yeah, you were big into audiobooks there for a hot minute. Yeah, true. When I was at like, yeah, when I was working at UPS, like driving and then like during my shifts and stuff, I'd listen to like audiobooks. So it's like all during like the the most recent uh, Taylor Swift eras. Get it? Because of the eras tour. Uh, no, I didn't get my, it. Thanks my... for explaining that. Oh, I can I can mansplate a little further if you need me to. So the Eras tour, 
<laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I, I'm curious how much post Shake It Off. I don't even know what the album from Shake It Off is called. Right. Um, okay. Is that like her s- single from that album or is it just one it's that was one like of them, yeah. popular enough to go on the radio? So yeah, I'm just curious as we keep doing these episodes, like I know like looking up, eventually we're going to hit Shake It Off. And then I wonder after that how much I'll know. And then like there's a couple that I've like heard really recently that I, I don't know how recently they were released, like on TikTok or Instagram, like because of the Eras tour. Like I think one is called Cruel Summer. That's on Lover. There's kind of an interesting story to Cruel Summer because like, um, I don't know if you know how singles like work in the music industry, but. My assumption is that because I used to think an album was just music on a vinyl record. That if like you got an album, you were buying a vinyl disc and you'd play it on a re- record player. And I thought a single was just a smaller album or like you get a single and it would be one <laughs> song on vinyl. Um, I mean, that's how it started. Um, but since we don't use vinyl as like our primary like form of listening to music, it's now just kind of um, like you'll record an album, right, with a bunch of songs. And then typically the artist will pick a couple of songs or like the artist and the label will like look at the uh, discography and they'll be like, okay, like these are the ones that like are probably going to be the catchiest. They're probably going to get like be the most playable on the radio. So like these are the ones that we're going to like push out and like sometimes they'll release them early as like a single and stuff like that. And so for Lover, um, that was like, you need to calm down. And there's another one too. And then she went on like a tour or she was going to do a tour. What was the other one? Um, uh, I can't remember what. Oh, me with uh, Brendan Urie. I don't know if you remember that one, but um, those were like the two singles that she like pushed out. And so usually you like stagger the singles, right? Because you want to like keep a song on like number one um, on the charts. And so like, you know, you'll put out one, it'll stay there. And when it starts to dip, you put out the next. And then um, right as it was starting to dip, that's when like the pandemic happened. And I think she had like a tour planned and stuff. But then like, you know, she had to like pull back everything. And I don't know if Cruel Summer was ever planned to like be one of those singles that she like pushed out. Like maybe it was, but um, it was kind of one that the fans organically latched onto from just like listening to the whole album. And they were like, oh, this is like a really good song. Because like, if I'm going to be honest, like I don't think the singles that she did actually push out from me or from Lover were like great songs. <laughs> but um like Cruel Summer is a really good song, I think. And so that probably should have been like the single in the first place because that's like the ones that the fans love. And now the after the Eras tour, it did kind of become a single and get like radio play like um, her other two songs did, I think, more so than they did. But uh, that being said, I don't know that I could pick out the melody or sing any of the words to Cruel Summer. I just know that that's the name of a song because of social media recently. And I'm trying to think if I know any any other. There was this uh, girl who does Wordle TikToks. Her, her name is like Savannah and her like TikTok is like Daily X Sav or something. And she's like a big Swift fan, Taylor Swift fan. And so like a lot of her like Wordle guesses and stuff are like Swift themed. And if there's ever like a word that like can tie into Taylor Swift and somehow she always like makes a deal about it. And so like I know... There's like a song called Maroon, I think, mm-hmm. 
and just because she said that and maybe okay yeah these and are I know all that like the number 13 is important to taylor swift because of like savannah and wordle <laughs> but uh anyway yeah these are all like later songs though like yeah but i don't know like what them sound like so i'm just trying to get let you gauge my uh taylor swift knowledge thence thus far very minimal yeah so what did you think of fearless i liked it a lot i even today because we knew like oh we're gonna record this um and like even though it's been five months since we've recorded the last um episode album episode like there have been several times during that time where we have either separately or together turned on fearless and listened to it all the way through and um and even today like okay, I should I should brush up on it. Um, so I I turned it on. You pulled out my vinyl because I asked for it on vinyl because this is my favorite album. Wait, you have this one on vinyl? Yeah, it was. Were you not playing it on vinyl? No, I just turned on the. So we have a, a record player that also is a Bluetooth speaker. So I just turned it on Bluetooth oh. and I played it from Spotify. So what records on the record player right now then? I think it's still the White Christmas or not the White White Christmas the but the Bing, Bing Crosby. Crosby Christmas oh, okay. album from. Like last month. I thought you pulled out my vinyl. I didn't even know we had this one on vinyl. Yeah. Okay. I need to pay more attention to our vinyl collection. Yeah. I need to clean up that Billy Joel one too. I like... Oh, I forgot you got that one. Okay. I'm so excited about this. I found The Stranger by Billy Joel at like our local DI. Yeah. Which is basically like Goodwill, like for $2. And it's like kind of dirty, but it doesn't really have any scratches on it. So I need to like clean it up and try it out. I'm so excited. I love Billy Joel. Anyways, I also love Billy Joel because, as I said, like 70s to 90s classic slash soft rock is uh, right in my wheelhouse. Uh, and The Stranger is such a good album. But um, anyways, I've been like listening to Vienna on repeat, but we can stop talking about Billy Joel now. Okay. Like, anyway, <laughs> this I, is a Taylor I, Swift I podcast. I pulled out Fearless. <laughs> I turned it on like while you were in the shower um, and I was just like cleaning up the living room, getting like the podcast stuff ready. I was listening to it and I was I surprising myself by how much I was like humming along to the songs, like as they would like play the first time through. And I think I listened to it like one and a half times through today. But like the first time through, like a song would come on and I'd be like humming. I'm like, oh, I guess I know this melody or like, oh, I guess I, I'd be like, like singing. I didn't know like all the words to all the songs, but I'd know like phrases here and there. And I'd like be like singing them and i'm like oh like wow like i i know these pretty well like not like super well but like and i was like oh i'm really enjoying the and like even some of them like i didn't recognize the name at all but i turned on like hey steven and i was like whoa Mm. i did not expect to know this one very well but i really i knew a lot of the chorus not not much of the verses but i knew the chorus pretty well and i really enjoyed it and then there's like some other ones that i was that i knew really well from not like listening to the album recently, but from like just the songs on the radio, like Love Story and maybe Forever and Always, or maybe that's just one that you've showed me I've probably, like when we were dating. I probably showed that one to you because that's kind of like a family favorite of my family's. Like that's the one that like my dad and my sister like the most and I might like the most too, though that they just like will jam out to and sing to in the car when he like drives her places. Yeah. Um, I also like breathe sounded pretty familiar, but I don't know if that's from the radio or if that's from. It's probably from me because I don't think that one got very much radio play either, but I like that one. And then also Fearless and 15. Again, like those are the ones that I'm most familiar with. So the only one that I can definitively say I know from the radio is Love Story. You probably heard 15 on the Love 
on the radio too because that was pretty that got a moment of airplay okay now thinking back i need to go back to the taylor swift album and what was what were the songs so what was your favorite song on the album hold on sorry i was just thinking i should go back and remind myself what the songs were on the first album and if there's any of those that i recognize from the radio oh you belong with me you probably heard on the radio too oh is that on fearless yeah oh yeah you're right you are right oh the reason i was looking at the 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 list of the songs right here and the reason that one didn't show up is because that one is the one that was that's currently playing in the spotify oh so you're right yeah love story and you belong with me I know from the radio. And then there's a couple others that I'm familiar with because you've showed me here and there on road trips or or, or driving around since we've been dating. But um, what would you say your favorite is? My favorite? I mean, probably the one that I jam to the most is You Belong With Me because it's the one I know the best. It's also, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm nervous that I'm going to sound basic <laughs> with uh, my answers, but... um. Well, I mean, like the classics are classics for a reason, right? Like yeah. this had this was big because it's a good song, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's see. And also, so there's um, there's a couple here that like I know I enjoyed, but like looking back, I can't think what the melody sounds like. Like <laughs> change the best day, the way I loved you. Mm. You're not sorry. Tell me why. White horse. Basically, all of those I can't. And maybe it's just because I didn't. Like, look at which song was playing while I was listening to it today that I can't, like, put the the song title to the the music. So I can't remember it if it... So just based on memorability... Mem, is that a word? Memorability? Yeah. Based on memorability alone, I'd probably have to say You Belong With Me is my favorite from this album. Cool. Second might be Hey Steven. Mm-hmm. That's the one that's like, I can help it if you look like yeah. an angel. I think it's a really unique one. I like it. Yeah. And then probably after that, like, I don't know. I know Love Story really well, but I, I don't say, like it that much. Hey, Steven always made me think of my best friend growing up because that's her last name. And so, Oh, that's cute. Yeah. And then 15 and Fearless are really good. They are. I. So I would probably say You Belong With Me, then maybe Hey, Steven, but it's probably pretty close with Fearless, then 15. I don't know. Love Story, I can take it early. I know it really well, but it's not... I don't really like turning it on. Like if yeah. I was, if I were to, if, if any of the songs, I don't know, I can't, I, I wish I could speak more definitively about the rest of the album. I just can't remember like what they are, but like if Fearless, 15, Hey Steven, You Belong With Me or Breathe came up on like a shuffle, I would, I would listen to it, maybe even replay it. But if Love Story came up, I would probably skip it. Mm. I don't know. It'd have to catch me in the right kind of mood. Yeah. And then, I don't know, the rest of the songs, I couldn't tell you one way or the other if I would play it or if I'd skip it. That's so funny because, I don't know, I feel like if I've heard a song played to death on the radio, and like part of it was like my fault too because I was playing it to death in my room and then I'd hear it on the radio. Like I feel like 15, like it's a great song, but I just got like really sick of it. And like even to this day, like I have to be in the right mood to like listen to it, even though I do like really like it just because of how much I listened to it as a kid or how much it was like forced upon me on the radio. And like same with like Love Story and You Belong With Me. I think some of my favorites from the album, Forever and Always, that's a big one for me. Tell me why, the way I loved you, and the other side of the door. Those are probably like the tracks that I go to when I like want to listen 
to something off of Fearless, like those are the ones that I like a lot. And those are like the ones that you don't remember. So <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think it's like kind of funny. After we released the the last Taylor Swift episode, one of our podcast friends uh, messaged me and he was like, I'm really excited for your thanks for par swift debating <laughs> playlist, which was just like a funny like play on words. And I was like, ooh, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we should make a, a playlist of like all of like the, the favorite songs from each album as we go through them. But like, I feel like it's just going to be the Taylor Swift biggest hits. Like right. there's not going to be any like deep cuts because I'm just like, I don't know. I could do deep cuts though. Yeah. I mean, I think some of those songs that I like are deep cuts, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not as much forever and always, but like the way I loved you or the other side of the door for I'm, sure. There's a couple from the first album that I, that I liked, which might be deep cuts, like should have said no. Mm, like yeah. that one isn't, I mean, you can speak better on it than me, but like, I don't feel like that one was as popular on the radio or anything, but that was one that I enjoyed probably most on the album. Yeah. So Josh, this is the first Taylor Swift album that we're listening to that has a Taylor's version. What did you think of the original versus the TV? Um, I couldn't tell much of a difference. And also part of that is because I listened to the Taylor's version a while ago but I listened to the original version today. So I, I probably should have listened to the original version, then listened to the Taylor's version. So here's what I'll do. I will, between now and when I edit this episode, I will listen to the Taylor's version. And right here, I will insert any and all thoughts I have on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the updated uh, the version. All right. Hello there. This is Josh from the future in the editing booth. And I'm told I have to give my thoughts on the vault tracks and more in-depth in general about the Taylor's version of Fearless. First off, when I pull up Taylor's version, uh, I'm noticing that there's 27 tracks and something's not computing. I know that I'm not very good at math, as was established previously in the episode, but if there were 13 tracks in the original album and only six vault tracks how do we end up with 27 total tracks on the taylor's version well i had to do a little digging and it was it was pretty difficult but here's what happened so there was the original album k came out with 13 songs then there was the platinum edition of the original album and that was only available if you bought on like cd or dvd or something i think and there were six additional platinum edition songs and those Platinum Edition songs were also remade on Taylor's version. So there's actually 19 original tracks plus the vault tracks. Gotcha? And then there's one extra um, that's the the piano version, and we'll get to it later. Um, but also, I just want to point out that if we're supposed to be doing Taylor's entire discography in this series in chronological order, Sydney made a major error because I'm looking it up. Turns out that in between her debut album... And Fearless, there were two EPs. Now, I'm not entirely sure what an EP is. I think it's just like a mini album. But there was the Holiday Collection EP in 2007 and an EP called Beautiful Eyes in 2008. Now, I I did look it up. I think Beautiful Eyes, like half of it is just alternative versions of the songs that were on the debut album anyway. But I don't know. Listeners, let us know. Do you think we need to go back and cover those EPs or should we just stick to regular regulation sized albums? Okay. Well, 
let's get into my experience. I have listened to Taylor's version. Actually, here's what what I did. I so I I released the episode, the our our podcast episode, and then I realized, oh, I completely forgot to insert my little thoughts here. So I'm going to record this and I'm going to to go back, insert it and then republish the episode. So after I realized, oh, I needed to record these thoughts, I pulled up Fearless and Fearless Taylor's version and I made a queue on my Spotify where I went Fearless, Fearless t- Taylor's version, 15, 15 Taylor's version, Love Story, Love Story Taylor's version, like boom, boom, back and forth, back and forth all the way through just so I could hear any differences, hear any thoughts. And let me just tell you, first off, this was the first time that I had listened to any of the Taylor Swift music so far with headphones. I'm usually very reluctant to listen to music in headphones. I don't know why. I always like to have things on speaker. Like if you ever call me, I'm never going to have the phone up to my ear. I'm always going to have it on speakerphone. It's just like a comfort thing. I don't know. Having it in my ears like makes me anxious. If it's like a podcast or something while I'm driving or while I'm working, or if I'm driving, I'll probably have it on speaker. But like when I'm working, like, yeah, I'll need to like have it in my, in my ear, but I rarely listen to music at work. But I don't know why. I just thought like I want to get the full experience. So I'm going to listen to in earbuds. And I noticed so much with each song. I wrote like six pages of notes. So we're going to have to to go through this. I think I'm at like 2,800 words on my, on my notes. And Sydney's probably not even going to listen back to this. So she's going to have no idea that I had any of this to say. But without further ado, the first track is Fearless. And honestly, no notes on Fearless. The original version, the Taylor's version, both really good. Next, 15. The big one that I notice here is the difference in the drums. In the original version, the the bass drum like kick, it feels like it's getting swallowed a little bit by by the guitars, the acoustic guitar drum pattern. But in the in Taylor's version, that bass kick really drives the rhythm for the whole piece. And I think that's like a really important upgrade. All right, next love story. Okay. <laughs> here I wrote steel guitar, holy cow. Um, and then in parentheses, I wrote, not as pronounced in TV, which is Taylor's version, more twangy and less alien tractor beam. Uh, contrary to what is said elsewhere in this episode, this is a bop and I wouldn't skip it. I think in the episode, I said that this is a song that I know I'm really familiar with from the radio, but even though it's probably the one that I'm most familiar with, I could take it or leave it and I'm not, I'm probably going to skip it. But listening back with headphones, I think this is something that I really vibe with. Also, I wrote Taylor's version percussion ting ting really coming through. Hold on. We got to pull this up because now I don't remember what the ting ting is. Oh, right there. Ting ting. Ting ting. I don't know what, what instrument that is, but okay. Hey, Steven. Okay, this is this is a good one. <clears throat> I wrote Good Morning Baltimore intro in Taylor's version, question mark. So I wrote letters. I'm trying to approximate the sound, but I wrote original is more like this. But Taylor's version is more like this. But it's that reminds me of the, the intro to Good Morning Baltimore from Hairspray. But that one sounds more like this. Let me just pull it up and you can hear the the difference between the three of them. All right, that was the original. Here's Taylor's version. And then here's Good Morning Baltimore. 
Doesn't that sound really similar? Okay, that's basically all I had to say about Hey Steven. It's a good, great song, but that's the one thing that I noticed was how much the, the intro reminded me of Hairspray. Okay, White Horse. So this one, I don't know why, but the cello accent line at the beginning is kind of a turnoff, which is really weird because usually I love how, I like love the low harmonics of like a bright and mellow cello part. But unfortunately, I think the cello bummerness just like ruins the whole song basically. I don't know. And it's even worse, I feel like, in the Taylor's version. So this is one of those songs that I would prefer the original to the Taylor's version, but either way, I'm going to skip it. Okay, You Belong With Me. I usually hate songs that have like the constant hi-hat coming in on every eighth note in the measure, but for some reason, the hi-hat in You Belong With Me feels really tasteful and appropriate. Like when it comes in in the chorus and then it has the snare on the two and the four beat. Also the steel guitar in this piece, it sounds like I wrote ocean woo-woos. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but in the Taylor's version, it's not as ocean woo-woo, but it's like, you know, like the voguing dance uh, where you like, you, you like squat and then you move your elbows in and out. I I'm, tr- I'm doing it right now with my arms. Obviously, you can't see me as the listener. But for me, the, the steel guitar in the Taylor's version for You Belong With Me feels like echo- echoic, echoing, voguing in low gravity. I That's just what I what I picture when I hear that. Okay. Um, also, so the, the drums that come in right at the end of the pre-chorus as the chorus like builds up, it's like the... Oh, right there. The... Okay, that's what I'm talking about. I'm a sucker for that. What you're looking for has been here the whole time. And then the drums, like, right before the chorus goes, Okay, on we go. Breathe. In the episode, I said that this was one of the ones that I liked the best. But listening back, I think I was thinking of a different song that also has the word breathe in it. That's not a Taylor Swift song. Because when I was listening to this, I was like, this is actually a skip. Probably prefer the original to the Taylor's version for this one also, but would skip either of them. Okay, tell me why. This is an interesting song. Right out the gate, the violin comes in. And it sounds to me, not exactly, but it reminds me of Bilbo's birthday song in Fellowship of the Ring. And I'm hyped and the vibe is good, but then it completely, like, the vibe cuts off when the guitar comes in. If this song was just a three minute version of what that five second violin motif was at the beginning, I would be fine. I would listen to it on repeat, but otherwise it's probably a skip. Uh, the mo- that motif like that the violin plays at the beginning does come back around the one minute mark after the chorus, but this time it's played by the banjo. Which is kind of cool, but it doesn't hit the same as like the fiddly violin. And it's kind of just like too little, too late at that point. It makes me just want to go back and watch Fellowship of the Ring instead. Also, like this made me want to go listen to Bilbo's birthday song, which I did. We should just normalize adding tin whistles to more songs. Unfortunately, the Hobbit-esque intro at the beginning of the Taylor's version is completely ruined by the muffled slash dulled slash partially muted drums. So it really doesn't have anything going for it. Still a skip. Okay, You're Not Sorry. This song is back to the worst things a cello could be. (laughs) 
I wrote, oh, geez, <laughs> nothing groovy about this song. Hard skip. But then I wrote, whoa, hold your horses. The concert hall equalization in the Taylor's version completely turns the cello's frown upside down. I love that the piano in this one, in the Taylor's version, now feels like it has room to breathe. Like, somehow, the Taylor's version starts on the right foot and creates a groove, and it maintains that groove all the way through the chorus. So this one, interestingly, is a skip in the original, but it's not a skip in the Taylor's version. So that's a, a big difference um, between the two. Next, The Way I Loved You. This one, like, banjo as an instrument in general can be fun, but the banjo in The Way I Loved You is pretty boring and sounds a little bit too much like the younger cousin in the family band. Kind of kind of thing, you know? But the rest of the song is, is kind of solidly mid, so I gave it a soft skip. But Taylor's version, there's like these like sound effects that I didn't. I don't know if they were in the original. I wrote the pocket watch ticking in the background suddenly gives the music a much needed sense of purpose. Also, I didn't notice the battlefield drums in the original track. But I really dig them. Were they there before? I can't be bothered to go back and check. Not a skip. Green check mark. So this is another one where it was half a skip in the original, but definitely not a skip in Taylor's version. Okay, quite a bit to say about Forever and Always. The whole first verse sounds like it's missing something. I can't explain it. And I don't know if what I'm going to say will accurately convey what I'm trying to express. But it's missing something, and it partially resolves itself when the chorus hits, but it still feels like there's some vague, nebulous sort of emptiness. And I wrote, when I was listening to the original, crossing my fingers, Taylor noticed it too and fixed it in Taylor's version. Then I wrote, yes, exclamation mark. She definitely filled that emptiness, but she made a point to tease me while doing it. It was still mostly empty at the beginning, but with an attempt to mask it with the crystal sharp vocals. But then, bit by bit, the layers were stacked with each stanza until finally it sounds like euphoria in the chorus. I guess that's what Taylor is suggesting forever and always is supposed to feel like? I don't know. I have no idea what any of these songs are about because I don't know how to hear the lyrics. Also, I'm pretty sure I'm just bullshitting about the instrumentation as well at this point anyway. Good lord, I am really useless at this whole music thing. Sorry, Sid. Okay, let's just move on. The best day. If you, like me, thought to yourself, this intro could benefit from the use of steel drums, maybe, maybe a little bit of marimba, perchance, then I have some great advice for you. Just listen to Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett instead of exhausting yourself trying to listen to the rest of this song. Sorry, Taylor, this is a hard skip. All right, next, 
Change. I think this is the last song of the original non-platinum 13. I wrote, intro is too much all at once. It's sensory overload for me. It all cuts out at 21 seconds and it's quite refreshing, but that refreshment only lasts 10 seconds until the sensory nightmare restarts. Maybe I only think this because I've been listening to Taylor Swift music via headphones for nearly two straight hours. Maybe I'll revisit this song in the future and see if my mind has changed, but let's be honest, I'm definitely never going to listen to this one again. Taylor's version is just as bad, hard skip. All right, if you were keeping track, which you probably weren't, but don't worry, I was, that is seven out of 13 skips for the original. But one of them was only a, a soft skip, so we'll give it half. So it was really six and a half out of 13 skips. But for Taylor's version, two of those were resolved. So it's actually only five out of 13 skips for Taylor's version. Okay, now let's jump into the Platinum Edition tracks. These are songs that I had never heard before because they were not on the original on Spotify, but they're on the Taylor's version on Spotify. So the first one, Jump Then Fall. Right off the bat, there is an instrument sound here that I don't recognize. It sounds like a guitar that you might have halfway filled with water. And as you're playing it, you're like tilting it and the water is sloshing around and like distorting the sound in a really cool and pleasing way. This first song from Platinum Edition feels like a great breath of fresh air after listening to the second half of the original 13 songs. Okay, next. Untouchable. Too long of an intro that doesn't feel earned by the time the vocals come in at 21 seconds. It's brave. <laughs> I wrote, it's brave to take such risks in the world of Josh with his ADHD trying to listen. But unfortunately, this risk doesn't pay off. Skip. Next, we get forever and always piano version. Solo piano plus vocals really makes me emotional for some reason. I still don't know what this song is even about, but it's so beautiful. It's, it's already beautiful, but it's even more so when it's just that solo piano. Also, the brief pause after she says silence. Are you kidding me? Like, literal chills. This is one of those songs that I, as I'm listening to it, I picture Sydney playing and singing it. And I would love to hear her do that. Or maybe, maybe actually I want to play and sing it. I wrote, oh goodness gracious, the violin just came in at three minutes and 40 seconds and I'm in tears. It's true. It came in and I, I teared up. It's a great song. That is a probably a repeat song. Opposite of a skip, I would I would play this again. Okay, next, Come In With The Rain. 
I don't feel like I have anything interesting to say about this one. Sorry, listeners, I'm probably a real bore. This is just a plain and simple skip for me. Next, we have Superstar. Okay, this has been the most comfortably mediocre song of the whole album, I think. It's a soft skip, but only if I'm in a hurry. All of these skips would be skips if they came on on a shuffle. That was kind of like when me and Sydney started this series. We were thinking if if this song came on while we were listening to music on shuffle, would we skip it or would we not? So most of these songs that I say skip would be skip under that premise. But some of them that I say skip wouldn't necessarily be a skip if I was listening to the album itself straight through. Some of them still probably would be, though. This song, though, Superstar, would actually be a song that I would love to have on repeat under certain circumstances. Like if I was driving on a road trip through the desert in like southern Utah and Sydney was asleep in the passenger seat next to me. Does that, does that make sense to anybody? I don't know. Like in that certain scenario, this is the kind of song that I would, that would just feel perfect to have on repeat. I actually adore the high synth that comes in at 56 seconds that like echoes the cadence on the eighth notes. And you know what? The more I think about Superstar. I feel like this song is deeply comforting and exists, I don't know, efficiently in the here and now. I th I think that's what I'm trying to say. I think I was wrong about this one being mediocre, actually. I have a feeling that this is the song that I will grow closer to with each subsequent listen. All right, moving on. The Other Side of the Door. This song is a bit of a disappointment after the borderline spiritual experience I just had with Superstar. It's a fine song, but it doesn't do much for me. It's a soft skip, but I wouldn't be rushing to find the skip button, if you know what I mean. Moving on. Today was a fairy tale. None of Taylor's songs so far have felt overly complicated, but this one especially feels like it thrives in its simplicity. It feels like the pep talk you might give yourself as you prepare for the home stretch. Also, did you know that home stretch doesn't come from baseball? I grew up playing baseball. I always thought it did. I thought it meant the baseline from third to home like between home plate and third base, but apparently it's a horse racing thing. Okay, out of the seven platinum edition tracks, three of them were skips, one of them was a soft skip, so we'll give it a 2.5 out of seven skips. Lastly, home stretch, the six vault tracks. First, You All Over Me. The intro to this song is so frustrating. This looping synth drum sound comes in immediately and establishes this awesome 290 beats per minute foundation on D4. And it feels like we're about to experience something truly and uniquely exciting. But then the guitar and the harmonica come in five seconds later, playing at half that tempo. And it's like the biggest letdown I've ever had to cope with. Then like, the, the, there's this bass drum that comes in at 45 seconds that makes up for it a tiny bit. It's like kicks on the, like the one end and one end. One end and one end. You find graffiti on the walls of all bathroom stalls. You know, you can scratch it right off. It's high. 
you know, that kind of like when it's just that like bass kick on the one end and one end, like it kind of tickles me, but it's probably still a skip though. It doesn't make up for the frustrating intro enough, but maybe if I listen to the song at least like four more times, so I knew not to get my hopes up in that first five seconds, then I would maybe consider not skipping it. But for now, it's definitely a skip. Next is Mr. Perfectly Fine. I wrote, okay, Taylor, I see you, exclamation mark. This song is doing something that none of her other songs are doing. First of all, the steel guitar and the sine wave synth playing cat and mouse. Brilliant. Then the vocals come in and the swoops at the end of each phrase mimic the steel guitar swoops. Mr. Perfect Face, Mr. Here to Stay, Mr. Look Me in the Eye and Told Me You Would Never Go Away. Delicious. I can't get enough of it. A lot of these critiques come down to whether or not the song is able to capture my attention right at the beginning and hold on to it, and this song does both perfectly. Moving on. We were happy. That being said, this one doesn't capture my attention in any way whatsoever. Skip. Moving on. That's when. Featuring Keith Urban. I wrote, for some reason, the first verse with Taylor singing doesn't vibe, but the second verse with Keith singing does vibe. Not sure why, but it is what it is, I guess. Moving on. Don't you. The intro is a creative mixture that feels simultaneously melancholy and haunting, yet ethereal and hopeful. Are you sure this isn't Enya? I like it. Finally, the very last track, Bye Bye Baby. I wrote, eh, E-H. Don't you... The previous track should have been the last track on the album because this one feels like quite the afterthought to just stick at the end. Not a strong note to end on. On the other hand, if I skip it, then that means I get to end on Don't You After All. So I guess it all worked out in the end. So three out of six skips for the vault tracks. And I guess that's all I have to say. I will turn it back to your regularly scheduled programming. But I know that, like, because isn't this one of, if not the most recent Taylor's version to be released? I th- thought this was one of the first. Let me. This, oh. Yeah, this was the first one to be released. Oh, what was the uh, what was the one that was just released? 1989. No, not that one. Because it was one of the ones that you said, like, oh, I, I loved listening to this one when I was, was it Speak Now that came out? relatively oh yeah speak now Mm -hmm. yeah i remember when that came out and i i was aware that it was coming out because people on social media were like oh speak now drops at midnight or something and we were still awake and i was like have you started listening to it and you're like duh and then like the next day i was like okay well what were your thoughts and you said something along the lines of like oh the, the music's still really good but like the emotion isn't as present because when she recorded it originally all of these things that she's writing the songs about are like fresh and you can feel her emotion. And now like that, like raw emotion isn't there. And so you don't get like as much of the touchy feelies from listening to it. Is that, is that the case with fearless as well? 
I think no, not as much with this one. And I don't know why it was like so different um, from the albums. I know my dad has very strong opinions about Taylor Swift, so I'm going to bring him up again. But um, <laughs> he, when he heard like Fearless come out, he was like v- kind of upset. Not upset, but he's just like, it's not the same. Like the emotion's not the same. And I was like, no, no, it's great. And like, you know, the vinyl that I do have is like the Taylor's version. Um, so I think this one, um, less so than Sp- like I think this one lives up to the original more than like Speak Now does. Like I I do remember feeling a little disappointed with Speak Now, but yeah, I think I think Fearless is great. So okay, I have a question. Um, mm-hmm. I would assume because I I know you I think you explained this last time, or maybe we talked about it a little bit, and we were going to save it for this time about what Taylor's versions are and like why yes. she's releasing Taylor's versions. We were going to save that. Um, so I'm glad you brought it up. But okay. Um, before I ask my question, I will just let you talk about like what you know about why Taylor is releasing Taylor's versions of these albums. Yeah, so when Taylor was like 14, I think that's when she like recorded her debut album. So she signed her record deal pretty young and like the music industry is inherently predatory. Like um Paramore just got released from a 20-year contract that their uh record label had them sign when they were 14 which is crazy but like it's just like inherently bad for artists and exploitative but anyways um she had a pretty good relationship with she signed with big machine records and she had a pretty good relationship with them most of the time that she was like with them and i think her manager or like the owner whatever i can't remember his name but he was pretty good friends with her and almost like family i think and then right after she recorded reputation in between reputation and lover that's when her contract with which is her fifth and sixth albums wait no sixth and seventh albums but um that's when her contract with big machine records was up and she um was kind of exploring her options as far as um, what to do. And I don't think she ended up signing with Big Machine again. I can't remember exactly what she did, but then she started looking at, I think she went more independent, but she started looking at trying to buy her masters from um, Big Machine. And so kind of like the way that the recording process works with the record label is like, so Taylor Swift wrote the songs um, and she has the rights to like the lyrics and the music of the songs. But when she recorded them in the studio, the record label in the studio has the rights to like that specific recording. Um, so even though she like owns the content of the albums, like the record label owns like the specific recordings that were put on her albums and that's what's called the masters so she was looking at buying the rights to her masters back from big machine and she had expressed interest in it and let them know like name your price like i i will pay it like this is like basically like my personal diary that i've like put out into the world like i'm just like willing to purchase like whatever and they ended up making a backhanded deal and sold them to scooter braun who is the manager for justin bieber and ariana grande or was i think they dropped him recently but anyways she was very very upset about that and it was just kind of like a slap in the face to her because he was like 
there had been some like bad blood between them before and he was like the one person that like she absolutely didn't want her masters to go to and she was upset that she like did, wasn't even given the opportunity to like match the price or beat it or whatever because she was basically just like I don't care like how much it's gonna cost like I just want to own my masters like I'll pay you whatever and they still like went behind her back and like sold it to someone else and so she was pretty upset about that and she was like well I don't even want these to like be useless and I'll just record my own again uh, like I'm just gonna re-record like all of the masters that he owns and then everyone's gonna want like my new recordings and like they're just gonna lose all their value and be useless basically um and so that's what she's doing is like re-recording all of her albums oh boo so the so when I Listen to the the original version today. Scooter Braun got the pennies from my streaming or whatever. Yeah, like the point zero zero three cents or whatever. <laughs> okay, but yeah, so that my bad. T Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I did that out of ignorance. Yeah, so uh, so, um, so that's what she's doing. Is like not only is she re-recording the songs, but now she's adding the vault tracks that were like written around the time of like the rest of the album but didn't quite make the cut um so she's like adding more value business-wise it's brilliant like you know as a business student like i'm like it's just such a smart move and a big f you to scooter Braun. and so yeah it's kind of interesting because around the time that we recorded the last one there was a lot of his artists dropping him like I just don't think he was giving them the attention that he needed and he like really dropped the ball on some of his artists. And so I think Justin Bieber might have dropped him and Demi Lovato and like a couple of other of like his huge, huge profile clients. And now kind of the news around that is that a bunch of artists or a couple more artists are thinking of just re-recording all of their past albums like Paramore. Um, I mentioned that they got signed to a 20-year contract at 14, which is just insanely predatory, like so crazy that you would, you know, make 14-year-olds sign a contract for longer than they'd been alive up to that point and like lock them into recording with something. So I think they have talked... I mean, they're definitely like doing a rebrand and stuff right now just because they're finally out of that contract and like able to uh, like be more independent. But I also think they've talked about re-recording their past albums like Taylor Swift has. And there's another artist recently that was talking about it, too, and I can't remember who it was. But yeah, that's just kind of like the gist of like the Taylor's version. Gotcha. That makes a lot more sense than what I was thinking it was. I can't even like tell you exactly what I thought. I thought it was kind of like, like, you know how um, George Lucas has like perfectionist tendencies. And when he was making Star Wars in 1977, he was like frustrated a little bit by the limitations of like special effects and filmography, special effects and stuff. And then like in the 90s, when computer animation kind of was becoming more available, he was like, all right, I can do kind of the things that I wanted to do in 1977 now. So he went back and he re-released like the... A New Hope with these like new computer like things. And then like there's been so many changes to Star the original Star Wars by George Lucas. And it's like sometimes he'd change it and everybody hates it. So then he'd like change it back. But then he'd like like this. Then he'd find like a middle ground like with the whole like Han shot first thing. I kind of thought it was a little bit like that where it's like, all right, I recorded these when I was really young. Now my like my skill has improved like i've become a better singer over the years or like musically like i prefer the and it's like i assumed that taylor swift was just like 
re-releasing that and her Taylor's version was like, okay, now I'm, this is what I would have done. Like knowing if I knew then what I know now, this is what I would have made these songs sound like. No. And that's like the interesting thing about like Taylor's version is that for the most part, she keeps a lot of the elements the same. Um, I think like on some of the songs, especially 1989, like the mixes were a little bit different, but as far as like what she does vocally and like the form of the song and the lyrics, like they all are the same for the most part. There's been like, there's been a couple that she's changed just for like political correctness sake like in speak now there was a line that she changed that kind of got rid of some slut shaming but we can talk about that more next week or (laughs) next time but um yeah she kept them mostly the same i think you know you can tell that she's a lot more mature in like her um vocal performance and whatever but um i do think that like sometimes it has lost a little bit of that emotion and like the rawness but i don't see that come out on this album as much so yeah, I expect the main difference then will be uh, when did the Taylor's version for this one come out? 2021. Okay. So the main difference really is like the vault tracks. Yes, that and what I was going to say is like listening now you can tell like oh this sounds like a 15-year-old singing and then like now the Taylor's version it will sound like a 35-year-old singing. Yeah. So. Yes. Um yeah, so speaking of vault tracks, do you remember anything about the vault tracks? No. But like I will have inserted anything and I probably would have said something about the vault tracks. So <laughs> I actually, um, I'm not going to so lie. That's a little bit of a dramatic irony where the, <laughs> the listeners will be privy to information that the characters <laughs> themselves are not. Oh my gosh. I remember that from uh, the um, high school English. It's one of the few things that I like actually thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> that and uh, rhetorical devices. Yeah, so I think on this album, I was a little disappointed by the vault tracks. Um, I mean, obviously, the biggest one to come out of it was Mr. Perfectly Fine, which is kind of fun, but it's, like, definitely not the best song on the album, and, like, I see why it was cut in favor of other ones. Like, there are other albums where I think the vault tracks are better, but, like, since this was the first Taylor's version one, and, like, I heard the vault tracks on this, and I was like, oh, man, like, if these are what the vault tracks are like, like, they're just, like, the the rejects, right? Like, so they're not going to be, like, any better than what's on the album, and I was, like, a little disappointed by these ones, but, um, yeah, Mr. Perfectly Fine was, like, fine, but it's not my favorite. How many vault tracks are there? Like, five or six. Let me look. Wow. Okay. One... Two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, six. And Mr. Perfectly Fine is the only one that I have saved to my library on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let me go back to... Oh, there it is. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. That must be why Taylor Swift loves 13, because there's 13 songs on this album. I don't think that's necessarily (laughs) it. I think... I don't know. Taylor Swift is really big into like Easter eggs and like, you know, putting out secret hints for her fans to find. Yeah. Being very cryptic. Yeah. She really likes doing that. And her fans really love that she does that. It sounds like they just eat it up. and. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting Um, to see which one she does next. So I was just curious, how do are most of her albums? And I'm just talking about like the originals, because obviously when she releases the lock. Not, not the the lock tr- the the vault tracks. It's gonna be like bigger. 
but are they usually about the same size albums or is there like a industry standard for like an album or do you know like are there bigger albums and smaller albums of hers or Uh, yeah for sure i mean um like there's usually like your standard size album i don't know it's like changed a lot in recent years because um it used to kind of be you would have like eight to ten like four three to four minute songs a lot of times especially like in the last few years people like to get artsy with things so like you know lady gaga like in chromatica would do like little um instrumental like interludes in between songs to like make a coherent like story throughout the entire album i mean that's like always been around but like it just kind of depends on the artist but like the more commercial it is it's usually like eight to ten songs i guess it's becoming more commercialized to do like some of those like fun little things where you do like short songs or like interludes and like a cohesive like album story and whatever and and then like the deluxe would have like you know 10 to 12 or whatever 13 gotcha maybe 15 you know just like somewhere in there but um yeah i think like the idea of like what is commercial has like changed a lot now that like record labels have become less important in the age of the internet so i'll have to try to pay attention to because i'm interested like as she grows as a musician and as a business person like what the format of the albums like changes or something i i don't know i'm just kind of interested in like the stats like not only of like the number of songs but also of like um like the types of like obviously like the the instrumentation is going to change when she transitions from country to pop and then doesn't she also eventually translate not translate transition (laughs) from like pop to more like indie pop or whatever yeah when she like was inside during the like during the pandemic she wrote two like folk indie albums that was folklore and evermore um and then after the pandemic she came right back to pop with midnights so isn't like isn't there one or maybe more where it's more like i don't know like isn't reputation like a different kind of like style too um yes but more aesthetically than like musically musically. um it was still pop but it was like and we can talk about the story behind it um let's talk about it when we get to reputation yeah but it was more like you know she's always been like bright colors and that one had more like blacks and reds and like bad girl kind of attitude but i was just wondering if that one like sounded more like grunge or alternative or something because because i was aware that like that the like aesthetic was like shifted a little bit but i was wondering if like musically it matched but no it's still very pop okay Okay, my other question before you talked about the Taylor's version, I was just wondering like I what already the... did talk about the Taylor's version. No, I'm saying the question I had before you talked about it. Oh, okay. Um, where I said like before I asked my question, I'll let you say this. I was wondering like what the timeline is. Obviously, there were like albums that she recorded with that, but like since then, I assume have there been albums that she's released like independently or with like a different contract that like therefore don't need a taylor's version because she already owns the rights to the original yeah so that would be everything after lover and i don't think now that i'm like thinking back on it i don't think she was independent i think she just was able to sign a record deal where she negotiated like owning the masters because she was like such a big pop artist she could like make whatever demands she wanted at that point right so that would be lover folklore evermore and then midnights are the ones that she like also owns the masters too so okay oh um one thing I did forget to mention, like in the Taylor's version, they actually did like offer her 
a deal to buy back her masters, but the deal was you will have the chance to buy back a master for every album that you record. So basically it would be like, okay, like release Lover, which would be like the next one on our label and we'll own the masters the lover but then we'll give you the chance to buy back your debut and so it was basically like indentured servitude like kind of like quote unquote where i mean that's like an extreme comparison but it's just like you know like sure we'll give you the chance but you got to give us like something else like we're not just going to let you buy them outright like we're basically just trying to keep you here forever and ever on this cycle of like forever and always yeah (laughs) (laughs) of just like continually buying back but then they just like sold them out from under her to scooter bronze so man so, i uh yeah it was kind of dirty sounds like they didn't take up business ethics course <laughs> yeah um i just there was like this uh video i saw where it's like when you're an engineer it's like schools will like make you take an ethics and engineering class in order to graduate but then like the room that the ethics in engineering class is taught in is named after a sponsor for the engineering school and you look it up and it's like, oh, they're a weapons manufacturer. Yeah. It's- no, I've always found that interesting um, because my business school, like just in general, not necessarily my program, but has a lot of multi-level marketing companies that come and recruit their... Um, Which, if you don't know, are super predatory. Yeah, and they're like- basically like pyramid schemes that have a loophole to be legal but they're still like very much pyramid schemes and like yeah so i mean a lot of people have strong opinions about uh mlms whether you're for them or against them and i'm very much against them and it's just like very much like an unsustainable like predatory business model but i just think it's interesting that like we have like this like maybe i shouldn't say this because i'm still going to school there but um we have like all these values that um we are taught to uphold and that they like push very hard um in the school of you know just like honesty and integrity and then we also take like a business ethics class but then in our like business law class it's like like goes out of its way to make a distinction that like an mlm is like fine and legal and like not a problem and it's just like uh, it, it may be legal, but I don't know if it's like not a problem. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between legal and ethical. And like, right. Obviously, in the ethics class, they're going to say one thing, and then the law class, they're going to say a different thing. And yeah, but also, some of those MLMs are also huge sponsors of like the football team and stuff. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I understand why they're trying to placate them because they do get a lot of funding from the MLMs here in the county. So, <laughs> anyways. That's my spiel on that. (laughs) All right. So the next Taylor Swift album is... Speak Now. Speak Now. Another one very near and dear to my heart. Okay. That one does have also have a Taylor's version. Yes. Okay. So I'll need to listen to both of them. And I will try to listen to them more so I can be more prepared than I was. Not, Not that I was unprepared for this episode but that i just i wasn't confident with like being able to talk about like the song specifically but like next time i'll try to be able like maybe i'll take more notes or something as i listen i'll do my homework so that i can talk more in more detail about the songs and Mm -hmm. and the differences between the the versions and stuff yeah there are some interesting uh stories behind some of the songs on speak now too i mean that that was another question i was gonna like it's okay if you don't like have anything specific to say but like do you know any of like the lore behind like any of the taylor swift songs from this album yes and most of it is joe jonas joe jonas is behind fearless 
I don't know if he's behind Fearless, but he's behind Forever and Always and Mr. Perfectly Fine for oh, sure. Oh, I just meant like the album, like he was around that time. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think White Horse was about someone too, but I can't remember. Um, but yeah, a lot of them were about Joe Jonas. Um, he broke up with her on like a 21 second phone call or something like that. What the? At least it wasn't a, a note that he pinned <laughs> to her windshield. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a little reference for uh, for someone out there that may or may not be listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was low. Uh, both of them are not great. Because like a 21 second phone call is basically like, hey, we're done. You know, like doesn't give you much time to like be compassionate to the person. Yeah. What the heck? How long were they together? A while. I don't know. But I feel like if you're breaking up with someone... Unless they're like, you know, abusive or whatever, you kind of deserve more than like a 21 second phone call. Gotcha. Yeah. It just like, yeah, it was interesting. And then, you know, now seeing uh, him getting divorced from Sophie Turner, also very interesting. Did they, did he divorce her with a 21 second phone call? Um, no, but it, I think it was kind of a shock to her, like, um, this is all like conjecture and rumors, but like what is confirmed is basically that he like overheard her say something on a phone call that he couldn't like couldn't forgive or whatever, and then just kind of like slapped her with divorce papers. And so kind of the conjecture that I've heard from the rumor mill is that like she probably was calling her mom to like complain about like stuff in their marriage because women do that. And then or like get advice or whatever. And then he overheard it and was just kind of like, well, like gave her divorce papers to get her to back down. But she like wasn't expecting that and like took it seriously. And then it just kind of like became a thing. And then he like, and this oh, like. Oh, what the? So you mean like he drafted up divorce papers to try to like pressure her to act a certain way in their marriage and then not expecting her to sign them or whatever. And she signed them. And he, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this is just like the rumor mill, right? Because like all the only thing that's confirmed is like what Joe Jonas has said, because Sophie Turner has remained very quiet about their marriage. But his um, Joe Jonas's press tour afterwards has also been very interesting. Like um, he has, first of all, like Sophie Turner and him have always tried to keep the kids out of the spotlight because they have two kids and they've tried to like keep them out of the papers and like out of the spotlight because they don't want their kids to like be associated with them growing up like as little as they possibly can right like you know it's hard in this day and age but they're trying to avoid that as much as possible and then as soon as they like um started divorce proceedings joe jonas is all of a sudden out in the public calling the paparazzi on himself with his kids trying to show how much of a good dad he is or like um another one was that he kept on talking about how much of a bad mom like Sophie Turner was because she was out partying all the time and they kept on releasing these pictures to the press. But people started to notice that Sophie Turner is wearing the same dress in all of these photos that he's releasing supposedly on like different nights to show that she's out partying all the time. Um, And it comes out that that was just one rap party for like something that she had been um, filming. And so, like, I don't know, I feel like that's pretty normal to, like, celebrate with your colleagues 
after you like finish a big project or whatever. And so, but you know, he was trying to release it and make it look like she was out partying all the time. And then, you know, interviews started surfacing about her saying that she was pretty much a homebody and like Joe was the one who liked to go out and party and like be social. And she just liked to stay home and wasn't really into partying and stuff. So it just like, it has been very telling. And then of course, Sophie Turner met with Taylor Swift after really? all this was going on. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, that was so juicy. Yeah. I mean, no one has said anything about that. And I think that just kind of speaks more to like, I mean, Sophie Turner's definitely coming out of this better looking on the PR end by just like not saying anything. But her and Taylor Swift did have dinner um, and meet up like right afterwards. So it's just kind of interesting that like a lot of this album and a couple of songs on Speak Now, spoiler alert, are like about Joe Jonas breaking her heart and then um, and like doing it in a not so nice way. And then all of this like bad PR is happening wow. around the same time that Speak Now comes out. So. All right. I'm excited. Hopefully we get to talk more about the the trashy details about Joe <laughs> Jonas uh, next time. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of guys um, on Speak Now. So that'll be kind of Ooh. fun for us to dive into. All right. But, Okay, I'm excited. I love talking about how much men suck. Yes, so. you do. And I love that you love that. <laughs> okay. Um, All right, Josh. I think that's about wrap time. Yeah, wrap it up I'll for do- us. Okay. Take us home. I'll do it. You don't need to tell me twice. Wait. Okay, question. Mm-hmm. Do I get to do a pronoun swap when I do the... Or is that just a you thing? It's just a me thing. Okay. I, all right. I, I mean, I'd like to... But I mean, look, I, I'm not going to tell you what your pronouns are. Because you get to do, like, funny things. I want to do funny things. You get to do but, funny things. But here's the thing. The listeners can't see my face. So, obviously, <laughs> they don't get to know how funny looking I am. Like, this is an this is a audio medium. Look, Wait. I'm not going to tell you what pronouns you have to use, okay? Okay, I just don't want to step on your territory. Do what you want to do. Okay. With that being said, this has been... Wait, I messed up. <laughs> Says three words. I messed up. <laughs> I'm not as good at this as you. I'm not good at it at all. Okay, let me try that again. This has been another episode of Thanks for Participating. I've been Josh, and she's been Sydney. And once again, thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at Josh is Rich, separated by underscores. You can find Sydney at dip your chicken you can find the podcast on instagram and tiktok at tfp underscore pod and on twitter at tfp underscore show you can also support the show by ordering some podcast merch the link to our t public store is in the show notes you can send any mail to participating.podcast at gmail.com please rate and review the show on itunes slash apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts the cover art is by vaishan brandon at vaishan designs on instagram the music is by mitch fry at firefry underscore on instagram and mitch fry music on youtube that's all, folks. Thank you all for participating. And thanks for not breaking up with me with a 21-second phone call. Our, my breakup phone call will be 22 seconds. I mean, I'd like to say I would deserve more, but I don't have a very strong argument. <laughs> all right. I'll see you next time.